Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So we decided to go back and break out Michael W. Smith when Michael W. Smith played rock and roll. Yeah. Do you know he used to back in the day? Yeah, that's how he started. Did you know Steve Green started with Whiteheart? You didn't know all of that, did you? Wow. We're in retro sermon series. Retro sermon series, there's one of these in front of you if you want to follow along with us. As we do Bible readings, there's information on the back of those cards uh, for you to figure out how you can join us. I'm going to move quickly today uh, to get started here because I got some place to go, all right? How about that? All right. A poem for you. You ready? I dig, you dig. He digs, she digs. We dig, they dig. It's not a long poem, but it's very deep. <laughs> I got in a heated argument with a uh, snowman. Uh, yeah, he lost his cool and had a meltdown. <laughs> All right. So uh, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word? We're going to be walking through the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapters 8 through 12 today, but this is our verse we have been reading every week. This is our verse. We read it together, and uh, by reading it together, you not only say it, you hear it, uh, and it's a part of, you know, your learning senses is, uh, is doing more than one thing. Reading it, seeing it, saying it, hearing it. Y'all ready? Here we go. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And what will you find? Come on. Rest for your souls. Anybody need any rest for your souls? It's a little bit of a crazy time. I believe we're in a position in our world where we need some rest for our souls. And I want to remind you what this verse says that we should do. When you're at a crossroads in your life, when you're at a moment of decision where things are going to change, where things are going crazy in the world, where they're going a little different in your own personal life, what you should do in those moments, you should stand at the crossroads and you should ask, what are the ancient paths? Who has made me, who has made it through this scenario before? Where is the good way? Not the average way. I don't want you to live an average life. I don't want you to live a normal life. All the world can live a normal life. I want you to live a good life. I want you to live the best life God has for you. So where's the good way? And then you've got to do something. You've got to actually walk in it. You have to intentionally act on the good path. And that's how you find rest for your soul. So that's what this sermon series is about. It's about us discovering the ancient paths and how we can walk in those ancient paths to find rest for our souls and follow Jesus. So Father, I pray that today you would speak to us. I pray that our hearts would be open. Would you let us hear what your Spirit is saying to us and let us put it into action in the name of Jesus, we pray it. And everyone said, amen. amen. So before you're seated, you've got to smile at somebody. You can leave your mask up, but come on, they can see it in your eyes. Turn at somebody and give them a big smile. If you're online, here's a big smile for you. I know it's two-dimensional, but... Trust me, I'm thrilled to see you. All right. Uh, we've talked through this sermon series. I've already laid an outline out, an introduction about Lewis and Clark, 
crossing the mountains. As they crossed the mountains to get to the west coast, they, uh, they found a pass through the Rocky Mountains. That became a trail. Later on, that trail became a, a, a wagon train. Later on, that, that, uh, that path became a, a, a railroad. And later on, it became a superhighway. And that pass that they discovered has been passed on to us. And this sermon series is how to figure out what the ancients did, like Daniel or like the early church, what the ancients did to stand firm when persecution was around them and how they were able to make it and thrive so that, for example, Daniel, when he was 70 years old, was still saying, at the time of the evening sacrifice, I was in prayer. So 70 years in his life, 60 years without a temple, he was still worshiping God. And, and how the early church, in just a matter of a few uh, centuries, became the most powerful force in the world that a group of 120 believers ideologically changed the entire world so that the empire, the most powerful empire that humanity has ever known, bowed its knee to Jesus Christ in just a couple of hundred years. How do these things happen? They happen when we develop the character traits of the early church. We've talked about devotion. They were devoted to God. They were devoted to one another. And we've talked about um, loyalty, how they were loyal, and uh, they, they kept their faithfulness and loyalty. And today we're going to talk about sacrifice. And what is sacrifice? Well, um, the, the Google, uh, the Google, the, wow, I sounded really goofy there. Or as my brother would say, the gargle. I don't, anyway, anyway, the Google says that sacrifice is an act of slaughtering an animal or a person or surrendering a possession as an offering to God or a divine or supernatural figure. So, it's sacrifice. Sacrifice is slaughter. It's death. It's an end to one thing so that something else can get pleasure or life out of it. Sacrifice costs sacrifices in the Old Testament meant something died. And if you, were, if you were a person that you had 50 sheep and you took one of those sheep and you killed that sheep, that means that sheep was not going to produce for you any other sheep. So you not only were killing what you had at that moment, you were killing a part of your future. Sacrifice costs. Sacrifice costs. Now, we live in an all-star culture. Our culture, we're all about all-stars. Who's the most powerful, the richest, the best? Who's the GOAT? You know, have you heard any of these discussions about who the GOAT is, the greatest of all time? You know, the GOAT, was it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? You know, which one is the GOAT? And is it Michael Jordan? I, if you ever watch Michael Jordan play and you've watched LeBron play, well, I have opinions, can you tell? But Michael Jordan would not have been Michael Jordan without Steve Kerr. Without Scottie Pippen. You know, I, I saw many times Michael Jordan couldn't get his shot, so he passed it to Steve Kerr to drain a three, right? Are, anybody remember those games? I'm a basketball nut. I used to love, I have not watched a pro game in over a year. I refuse to. I'm done. Anyway, that's a different story. I love basketball. I will watch college basketball all day long. I love it. I, I love watching. Oh, my goodness, I was watching offense. Anyway, sorry, I don't have time talk to you about that. But they kept doing the same thing, and the, the other team would not defend against the same play every single time. And I am a no-knowledge no coach, and I'm sitting there saying, why don't you just stop them from the drive? Anyway, anybody ever do that? Scream at the TV. Am I the only scream at the TV guy in the room? 
All right, there are a few of you. All right, good. Browns game today. We're going to hear a lot of screaming out of Browns fans. And now, I'm optimistic that the Browns will show up, but we're going to see what happens after that. Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods? Which one? Which one? Which one's the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Tiger or Jack? But, but you know what? Tiger Woods wouldn't be Tiger Woods without a guy named Butch Harmon. And you don't even know who Butch Harmon is. You know who Butch Harmon was? His swing coach. When Tiger, right before Tiger became great, all through the, the, all the majors he won, Butch Harmon was his coach. He stopped being his coach, and guess what happened to Tiger? Within three years, why? A lot of other things happened, but listen. Why is it that the bit players, the supporting actors, the people who do the dirty work, never get noticed? Because they're making sacrifices to advance a story. What story is any good without a supporting character? No story is any good without supporting characters. You have to have supporting characters to develop any story. Well, God is redeeming the world through his son, Jesus Christ, and every one of us are just a supporting character in that story. And when we start looking at ourselves as not being the goat, but being a supporting character, maybe then, me, I can realize that it is my job to sacrifice to make the story through Jesus develop. Is it going to be like first service in here today? Nobody's going to say amen the entire day. Come on, y'all got to help a brother out, all right? It was a rough one in first service this morning. They're still asleep. Somebody say amen just to make sure you can do it. All right, there you go. Here we go. So today we're going to look at four people who made huge sacrifices to advance the gospel. Let's look at the first one. His name is Philip. Now, Philip was a waiter. He was a waiter. Any, any servers in the room? Any servers? Come on, servers, wave at me. Any servers? Got a couple? Yeah. Servers, thank you for serving us all the time. Yeah, thank you. Hey, you know what servers? Philip was a server. It says in, in uh, Acts chapter 6 that, the, de uh, that the, um, the apostle said it would not be right for us to give up the preaching of the gospel to wait on tables. So appoint some guys, and guess which guy they appointed? Philip. Philip was one of the people that were appointed to wait on tables to be a servant. That's what deacon means. It means basically slave. Deacon is the same word as used for slave. He was a servant. He was a person that put other people's needs first. And here Philip is. He wasn't a preacher. He was a, a waiter, but yet somehow he changed the world. You don't believe me, do you? Well, let's look. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to a city in where? Where'd he go? Samaria. Samaria. You see, the important people wouldn't go to Samaria. Why wouldn't important people go to Samaria? Because important people went to Samaria. Samaritans were lower than dogs to Jews. Now, one of the things we're going to deal with in this story today is the racism and the hatred of the Jews for anyone who was not them. I wonder if this gospel story is applicable to today. When one side blames another side, and another side blames another side, and we can't learn to love each other and get along with one another. I just wonder if this message is true today. So what Philip did was Philip crossed the border. You see, what happened years and years before was the Samaritans were not always Samaritans. There were Jews, and the Jews had worshipped other gods. So they got taken off into Babylonian captivity up in Babylon. I'm like I'm drawing a map here. The Jews lived here, and they were taken off to Babylonian captivity. 
And in Babylonian captivity, they learn this lesson that God says, you shall not have any other gods, and he means it. So what happened was, some of these over here in captivity came back and became pure Jews in Jerusalem, worshiping only one God. And another group came over, and they hung out here uh, right under the Sea of Galilee. And, and they were half-bloods. They were half-Jew, and they were half-Babylonian. And they worshiped all kinds of things. And as a matter of fact, they took what they liked out of the gospel, or out of the Bible, and they used only the parts they liked. They only did uh, the first five books. They didn't do any of the law or the prophets. They didn't do any of that stuff, only the first five books. And they did what they wanted to. So the Jews looked at these guys and said, you're the reason we get into so much trouble. We don't like you. We don't have anything to do with you. We hate you. We can't stand you. You're a stench to us. I mean, you're like a, a Democrat to a Republican or like a Republican. Republican to a Democrat. So here they were. You're compromising. You're too hard-nosed. And they couldn't get along with one another until a, a waiter <laughs> decided he would go. By the way, Jesus did make a stop one day up here. He stopped, and do you remember that? He went to this well, and he talked to a Samaritan woman. And then the Samaritan woman said, went into her town and said, Come, look a man, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And everybody in the town, they had believed in Jesus. So they had this understanding of Jesus as a teacher. So Philip, he goes up there, he just wanders by one day. Philip was known for wondering, though. He wandered across a, a guy from Ethiopia, and he led him to Christ. And the church developed in Ethiopia because of the witness of one man that Philip witnessed to. And now Philip goes up here to Samaria and he wanders around and he's up there and he's proclaiming the Messiah Jesus to them. In Acts chapter 8 verse 12, when they believed Philip and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. So did they get saved? Come on, did they get saved? What are they? Can you get more saved than believing in Jesus and baptized in water? Crowd participation is at an all-time low today. Come on, listen, listen. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, you are saved. When you are baptized in water, it is an outward proof of the inward work that's been done in you. Right? So were these people saved? Very simple answer is yes, they were saved. So Philip preached Jesus to them, they got saved. But you know what? There was something else going on in this story. You see, Philip sacrificed his own reputation to reach out to the Samaritans, people who were outside of his group. So he put his life on the line to reach out to someone else. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 14, he saved people. Well, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, oh no, oh no, something just happened here. You see, the church at that time was Jewish only. And they met down here, it was Jews only. It was only, these were the cool kids. And nobody was allowed in them except the cool kids. They were the Jews. They were the cool kids. They had their own little church. And it was their church, and nobody else could attend their church because that was their church, and we are better than all the rest of the world. Reminds me of a church I know. They have about 100 people in them, but if you listen to them say they're the only ones going to heaven, and that's what their writings and everything say, and I'm like, 100 people, the only people going to You're the only ones in 7.5 billion people that got this right. Come on. We are not that church. We believe that anyone who believes in the name of Jesus is saved. You can be a little different than us, and we still believe you can be saved. Plowing concrete this morning, Kevin. Plowing concrete. So what happened was, God had accepted them, 
But the church didn't. And why didn't the church accept them? Because they were mad that they were Samaritans. They, we don't want them in our group. But God is doing a work there. So they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, what'd they do? They prayed for them, these new believers, that they might do what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they were already saved, but yet there's this act of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. There are two works of God's fullness of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit when you get saved, the baptism of the Holy Spirit whenever God empowers you. Anyway, so there are two different stories here. Let me stick to the one I'm telling, all right? Here's what's going on. They're now, they receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples, uh, apostles prayed for them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, what just happened is, when they received the Holy Spirit, they got included in the church. The cool kids had to let them in. Had to let the half-breeds in. Oh, my goodness, i got to put up with those people? And here you go. They, they, and, and this is the story that's going on here, is God opening up the gospel to not just a group of Jews, but to every person in the world. That's what we're going to read about. So uh, Acts 1.8, this is God's plan. All the way back, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, or Judea, Samaria. Uh-oh, he told them it was going to happen. And to all the ends of the earth, and we'll get to the ends of the earth in a second. So one more what happened on the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, those Jews gathered in the upper room. When the day of Pentecost was came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what happened in this moment is that this church was formed by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And this church now becomes more than a group of people following a dead and resurrected Jesus. They become a life-giving group of, of fill, Holy Spirit-filled people who are now a church. And when the Samaritans came in and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the church grew because people from the outside were let in. Y'all got this. And this all happened because a table waiter decided he was going to follow God and risk his reputation to do what God told him to do. Now, this church started years ago. Uh, there, were, there were two of us when Harvest Ridge started, me and my wife. She told me it was going to grow because she wasn't leaving me and everybody else had to come. <laughs> it was going to grow. It couldn't, it couldn't help it. So anyway, we, uh, we moved to town. We'd only been here 30 minutes before we moved to town. I'd only seen this town once. We made a phone call to find a room. It's a whole long story. We get here. We move February 29th. And we start gathering a core group of people. So in the, this isn't how you plant churches. This is not how to plant churches. But we had tw a core group of 12 people. And May, uh, March 1st to May 1st, we went public with a core group of 12 people. And we started having public services with 12 people. Man, that's crazy. You know, with 12 people, we had a nursery and we had a children's ministry. Why did we have children's ministry and nursery? Why were, we couldn't sing songs because nobody could carry a tune in a bucket. Nobody could play any instruments. But we had kids' ministry. Why? Because the core value of this church has always been that we're here to pass the gospel on to the next generation. That's who we are. So anyway, that's how we started. So anyway, we're, we're meeting and we grew. I mean, we like grew 500%, uh, 200%, uh, whatever it is. I, I'm bad with numbers. We went from 12 to about 25, 30 people. 
That's 100% growth, right? So anyway, we grew. Well, actually, it's a whole lot more than the two we started with. But man, we got to 25 people. And Jim and Karen North, one of my first deacons, Jim came to me and he said, we need a role rangers and a girls ministry. And I'm like, we have 25 people. We're, we can't, we got to set up and tear down chairs and we can't do kids ministry on Sunday morning. And you want us to have role rangers and girls ministry or, or missionettes? I said, I said, we can't do that. And he said, but we're going to do it. And I said, Jim, the only way we're going to do it is if you do everything. And he said, I'll do everything for Royal Rangers, and my wife will do everything for girls' ministry. So they showed up every Sunday morning to set up, tear down, pay the tithes, do the extra work, give the extra money. And then every Wednesday, we were meeting in somebody's garage, and we were doing Royal Rangers and girls' ministries in somebody's garage, every, somebody's garage. Every Wednesday night. Now, if you have ever had a kid, like all of mine, have gone through Royal Rangers and Girls Ministries, you know why they've gone through Royal Rangers and Girls Ministries? Because Jim and Karen North said, we're going to do it, and it doesn't matter what it costs us. Thank God for people with that attitude who will sacrifice like they did. Right? Yeah, Jim and Karen, they moved way into southern Ohio a few years ago. I was talking to them the other day, and I, I just said, thank you for your sacrifice. Because without them, we wouldn't have 100 kids running down there on Wednesday night learning the good news of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad somebody sacrificed so you can get a blessing from it? All right. Second of all, Ananias. Let's talk about him super quick here. Ananias. Now, this is a different Ananias that we talked about last week that died. It's hard for him to die and yet come back in the story. Jesus did that, but everybody else, they stay in the grave, right? So this is Ananias. Now, now, you need to understand one more thing. We're going to talk about a guy that Ananias is the bit player in Saul's story. Who is Saul? Acts chapter 8. Last week we heard about this guy who was there, and they laid the coats at the feet of, of Saul as Stephen was being stoned. That means that Saul was the authority figure in that moment. He was the one leading the charge. So we have Saul responsible for one person's death, and we also know that Saul was really good at persecuting and throwing Christians in prison and beating them and other stuff. So here's what happens. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and it was more than threats because we've already seen he pulls it off. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if they found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute them? Is that what it says? Can I help you for a second? Would y'all listen for a second? I'm tired of hearing Christians say that we're just being persecuted. No, we are not being persecuted. Jesus is being persecuted, not you. If somebody says something to you about you following Jesus and they make fun of you for that, they're not persecuting you. Who are they persecuting? Jesus himself. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Listen, we are bit players in his story. I am here to serve him. You are here to serve him. Too many of us think it's all about us. And when somebody says something about us or put something on Facebook or whatever it is, we get our feelings hurt. Let me tell you, your only right in this life, your only right is to die. You can either die in Christ and live a full life or you can die every day for your own flesh and live eternity apart from God in eternal death. 
I choose to die today. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. It is our job not to worry about us being persecuted. If persecution happens, if they are persecuting Jesus, not me. So I don't have to defend it all because he is the one being persecuted, not me. Therefore, it's not my responsibility to defend myself. It is my responsibility to make sure that Jesus gets glorified and he will take care of defending himself. All right, where are we at? Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked him. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you would do. I love how Jesus deals with him. He said, okay, smarty britches. Get up and go into the city. Oh, I can't, you can't see now. <laughs> anyway, don't mess with God. God has a way of taking care of you, right? All right. So Ananias now enters the story. And what does Ananias sacrifice? He sacrifices his security. We live in a culture where our security, financially, physically, we live in a culture where our safety, I'm going to talk about this in a couple weeks, but we live in a generation of bicycle helmets, knee pads, and car seats. And we have made security and safety a god. And God does not call you to live your best life by being safe. He calls you to your best life by sacrificing your security to follow his will and purposes. Now listen to what he asked Ananias to do. In Damascus, chapter 9, verse 10, there's a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, the Lord, he answered, all spiritual. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. There's your GPS coordination. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Is that P-R-E-Y or P-R-A-Y? Remember what he came there for. And did he fake this just to find out who the Christians would reach out to him in? Did he tell a story so maybe that was his allure? You know, you have to be thinking this. So he's praying. Hmm. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Ananias, that's you, bro. You are going to go pray for the Christian killer. And you're going to go as a Christian to pray for the Christian killer. Great job, right? I volunteer for that one, right? Anybody volunteer? No, you wouldn't. You're crazy if you do that. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And that's me. Now, God needed someone to work the miracle for Saul so Saul could become Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Or a third of the New Testament. But the, uh, all right, so anyway, the Lord said to Ananias, go. Stop talking back, just go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and all the people of Israel. And I love this verse. I hate this verse. I love it. I hate it. See, I was 16 years old. We got a new pastor at my church. The summer, late summer of 1983. He just graduated from Bible college. He was a basketball player, and he was pretty good. 
and he had a, a son that was severely handicapped. He uh, came to our church and was pastor at our church for about a month when he started playing basketball with me. So we'd get together, and we would play basketball on various nights of the week, on Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, we'd play one-on-one. -on -one. He would win part of the time. I'd win part of the time. He challenged me to read the book of Acts. So at night, not out of very pure motives, as a 16-year-old boy, the end of September, I was laying in my bed reading the book of Acts when I came across this sentence. And when I read this sentence, God spoke to me, and he said, Go. I will show you how much you will have to suffer for my name. And I knew he had called me to serve him full-time in ministry because of that verse. By the way, I got saved just a couple weeks later. The pastor made an altar call in the middle of service. I got saved, and they disappeared within like two months after that to go take care of their boy with a handicap. You know, I haven't suffered much. I found out that all the things I thought were suffering, all the doing without, all the sacrifices, late nights, early mornings, all those kind of things, all the doing the right thing when you don't want to do it, I found that it wasn't much of a sacrifice and it isn't much of a suffering. I'll show you how much you must suffer. Actually, I wound up being blessed through it instead. Those of you that are afraid of giving up some of your... Listen, do you know what happens when you make life all about you? Do you know what happens? You become selfish. And when you become selfish and you become narcissistic, the only thing you see is yourself, and no matter what you get and no matter how good it is, it never satisfies you because God did not design you to be filled with joy by the pleasuring of your flesh. God designed you to be filled with joy by the sacrificing of your flesh. God designed you to find your truest fulfillment when you give yourself up so that others may be better. And I, I live in a world that we're filled with anxiety and we're filled with, with um, depression and we're filled with all of these psychoses. And, and the answer, if you really get into it, the answer is to learn to give yourself away, to learn to sacrifice your security and to lay it on the line so somebody else can live a better life. And there you find joy. And part of our problem, why we got so many people going to counselors is because, and I am all for counselors. I've been, I'm not against them. But part of the reason we've got so many people doing it and living such miserable lives is we're all trying to get all we can, can all we get and sit on our can. And God wants us to grow up and give something away and to sacrifice our security, make an impact on the world. I'm done with that page. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. Listen, this guy is talking to a guy that could kill him, and he's telling him what to think and what to believe. Come on, that boldness only comes when you lay it on the line. He said, he sent me here so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's that line again. 
And then what did he do? He laid hands on him, he prayed for him, and scales, some like scales, fell off his eyes. Now, this is important because he just wasn't physically healed in that moment of a physical malady. In that moment, all the scales of how he viewed God, how he viewed the Bible, they all fell off. He went into that filled up with the De- Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all the rules, and he walked out of that moment with, with Revela- uh, Romans and, and Galatians in his heart. It change. A change happened. Because he laid his life on the line. So we all know about Paul. But where would we be if there wasn't an Ananias who's mentioned one time in the Bible who sacrificed it all? Where would we be? We wouldn't be here. I I read a story like this and I'm reminded of uh, a guy named David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson uh, cared greatly about a group of uh, gang members in New York City. So he goes there and tries to reach out to them. And he winds up running into the president of the Mamas, a guy named Nicky Cruz. And, and Nicky Cruz one day gets all fed up at David Wilkerson. He grabs a switchblade, pulls it out. You can read about this in the story of crossing a switchblade or, or Run Baby Run by Nicky Cruz. And he flicks the switchblade and he sticks it up under David Wilkerson's chin. And he says, I'm going to cut you into a million pieces. And David Wilkerson looked him in the eye and said, you cut me into a million pieces. And every one of those million pieces laid out on the sidewalk is going to scream to you, Nikki Cruz, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Now I want to tell you, there's some power that David Wilkerson had in that moment to lay it down. And we know about him because that moment changed his world and changed our world. But he had to sacrifice a little safety, a little security. Third is Cornelius. Now, Cornelius here is a Roman centurion. He's one of the oppressors. Cornelius was a righteous man. Once again, we're going to find out there were a group. Remember, the church now was Jews and half-breeds, Samaritans. I've got to say it a little pejoratively because that's still, they're still struggling with this. You'll find out the church is still struggling with this. How do we get along with people? How do we do this? Because Jews thought Gentiles were stinky, nasty, God-hater, filth, and God didn't like them. And now you've got a church of Jews, and now this church of Jews is going to run into a Roman centurion Gentile at his work. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. So he was Roman oppressor. This is like as bad as you can get, Okay. He's a Roman oppressor, he's a Gentile, but he was a good man. Verse 2, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. God-fearing means that they kept the rules of Judaism, but they did not, they were not allowed to worship in the synagogues because they were not, yeah, anyway, they weren't let in. So, look at how we know he was righteous. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. By the way, you want some very simple ways to find out whether or not you're godly? Just look at what the Scripture calls a godly man. He prayed to God, and he gave generously. Hmm. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who was, came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, What is it, Lord? The angel said, Your prayers and gifts. So he's been praying and giving. And the angel says, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. 
Some of you think the prayers you pray have been hitting the floor, they've not heard in heaven. Some of you think that all the, the gifts you've gave, the sacrifices you made, God's not hearing. But the, the scripture tells me that the memorial offering, that God's holding them as a memorial offering in heaven, and at the right time, he's going to release his answer over all of those prayers and all of those gifts. So don't grow weary in doing good, for at the right time, you will reap a harvest if you don't quit. Come on. Somebody needs to say amen to that. So he distinctly saw an angel of God, and he said, uh, What is it, Lord? And he answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Now Cornelius sacrificed his fear of rejection to follow Christ. Remember, the cool kids are here, and Cornelius is not one of them. He's already said he's a God-fearer. He's always already done all the things he could do, but he's still on the outside. He's not allowed in. And now there's this church. And by the way, I'm going to show you from the Scripture that Cornelius had already believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, but was not allowed in the church. He wasn't allowed in. Why wasn't he allowed in? He was one of those stinking Gentiles. And he wasn't allowed in because he didn't fit. He wasn't in with the cool kids because he didn't fit. And he's, he's got this fear of rejection because he's already experienced it from the synagogue where they told him, you're a God-fearer, you stay outside. He's already had this rejection, and now he's living with this rejection. And some of you live with the rejection every day that you don't think you fit in or you're awesome enough or cool enough or you're not accepted. And I just want to tell you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to open up the door so that you become everything he made you to be, and you don't need to be intimidated by any man. Oh, you're going to be intimidated. Everybody's intimidated. Goodness. But look what he did. He called, and Peter came. When Peter came, Peter's preaching to him. Verse 37, he said, You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea. So he's going to say all the things that have happened. And notice he said, you know. Now, in the Greek, this, this is a little different. In the Greek, it's a perfect tense. What that means is, you have already complete knowledge. You know completely. You already know all of what I'm about to tell you. It's already knowledge to you. Now, this is key because if Cornelius was somebody on the outside that, that didn't know, then this was a salvation moment God brought him in. But this is a moment this guy was already saved. They wouldn't let him in. That's what this whole story is about. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee at the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth so he already knows about Jesus, and how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him, and God still is able to heal all who are under the power of the devil. If you're listening to me today right now, and there is a power of the devil that's on you, I pray in the name of Jesus for complete healing and deliverance over your body, over your mind, and over your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And he said, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country and the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Now, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess him as Lord, you're saved, is what the Bible tells me. We know that Cornelius had already heard about it all, believed it all, and he was trying to make a confession and nobody would let him. So here we got this believer that's not allowed in the church, but he takes a risk. And he reaches out anyway. So what happened? Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift, they were astonished 
they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on those stinking Gentiles. Now, stinking may not be in the text, but it should be. It is implied. God's letting them in too. So, so, no, listen, that sigh is in there. Listen to verse 36. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God like they did back on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter said, Surely we can't stand in the way of them being baptized too. Are you getting this? I hope you're getting this. Because what's going on here is inclusion. God's got a real big tent and he can include you. God wants to include you in the family. Don't think you've gone too far, that you've got the wrong heritage or pedigree or ideas. No, God wants you. So, they got baptized then, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, what happened is, the heat was on, and Cornelius did the right thing over and over and over again. Heard somebody say it this way the other day. They said, the heat, you know, all these situations we're talking about the heat being on people. You know, things are little tense, and yet they're acting the right way. And, and we're like that. When the hot water gets boiling in our lives and the heat gets on, what, do you, what are you? Are you a carrot? You know what happens to a carrot when you put it in hot water? It becomes all mushy, right? And, and it doesn't stand up for anything because it's all mushy. What happens to an egg when you put an egg in hot water? Well, what, what's easily broken now becomes hard-boiled, and it's hard, it's resistant. So God doesn't want you to be a mush, and God doesn't want you to be resistant. You know what God wants you to be when the hot water is poured on you? He wants you to be a coffee bean. Can somebody who loves coffee say amen? Yeah. You see what happens when the pressure's on God's people influence their culture rather than being changed by their culture. Last of all is Barnabas. All right, I got to do this one quick, but I just want to tell you, Barnabas is my favorite guy in the scriptures. If I could meet one guy, talk to him, get to know him, other than Jesus, of course, I would want Barnabas. The reason I would want Barnabas is because Barnabas is sort of my hero. No, Barnabas is my hero. Why is Barnabas my hero? Well, because Barnabas... Well, let's just read what the scripture says. His name was not Barnabas. His name was Joseph. So Joe had a name change by his buddies. He got a nickname. It says in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, Joseph, a Levi from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. What does Barnabas mean? It means son of encouragement. Now, bar in Greek means son. Nabas means encouragement. So he was... In other words, this guy was so encouraging that they literally changed his name because... And, and all throughout the scriptures, from this moment on, he is never called Joseph. He is always Barnabas. Why is he Barnabas? Because everybody that got close to Barnabas was lifted up in their spirits. He made everybody, he made everybody better. Barnabas, Barnabas sacrificed his success to advance others in the gospel. He sacrificed his success. In this story right here, what happened? He had a field, and he sold his field and took the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira were copying what Barnabas did. Barnabas was the first to do it. Barnabas saw people in need, said, you know what, I've got some money. I'm going to take it. I'm going to give it. I'm gonna... Now, by the way, this sermon is not about money. It's not about money, but do you notice a, a, a trend going on here? That people who truly love God and are fully sold out to him are constantly sacrificing their own personal finances to make other people's lives better? Just saying. I can tell you if you love Jesus by looking at where you spend your money. 
Because it's not about your money, it's about your heart. If your heart is devoted to God, your finances are going to follow. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. All right, so, so Barnabas was the first. He, he sold. Also, Barnabas did something else. He left a successful ministry to go find Paul. It's in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 22. News of them, this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace of God, uh, that the grace God had done, and he was glad, and he encouraged them. Imagine that. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord and their, uh, with all their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord, and success is happening. And what does Barnabas do? Barnabas went to Troas, uh, Tarsus. Why did he go to Tarsus? To find this Saul dude. Saul. You know Saul? The one who becomes Paul? Who writes third in the New Testament? Yeah. Saul would have never become Paul if it hadn't been for Barnabas going to get him. Barnabas encouraged him, brought him, and, and what happens in their relationship is really cool. Barnabas and Paul begin to travel and preach. It was Barnabas and Paul. And then as Paul began to grow in his giftings, it went from Barnabas and Paul to what? Paul and Barnabas. What happened is Barnabas didn't have such a big ego that he couldn't get out of the way. Once again, he sacrificed his success to let somebody else be more successful. This is why he's my hero. It's not about Barnabas. Nothing is about Barnabas. It's all about the people in his world getting better because they're around him. One more, one more. There's this dude named Mark. You might know Mark. There was in the story of the book of Mark, uh, uh, the, the gospel, there's a young man that was there when Jesus was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he runs away naked. And that story is only found in the book of Mark because Mark is telling about his experience in the garden, how he was the young man who, when pressure happened, he ran away. Now, guess what happened? Other times in his life, every time there was pressure, he starts running away. Well, one time he runs away because Paul had invited him on the missionary journey, and Paul and Barnabas are traveling around preaching, and Mark Mark runs away because the pressure gets on. Well, then what happens is Barnabas and Paul, they have a fight over Mark because Paul says, nope, that kid done abandoned me one too many times. He is out. Paul, the hard nose, says, get rid of Mark. He's not any good. And, and what happened in Acts 15, 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas said, no, I'm taking Mark with me. And Paul went on his separate way. They separated because Barnabas said, I won't quit on somebody I love. Come on. And Barnabas there wouldn't quit. So, by the way, you do have a gospel in the New Testament. Anybody that's a synoptic gospel guy will tell you that uh, the Mark was probably the first gospel written. Scholars are almost universally in agreement that Mark was the first gospel written. And Matthew and Luke were written... Uh, based upon the writing of Mark. So you even have synoptic gospels in your Bible today because a guy named Barnabas wouldn't quit on a kid named Mark. How much of this Bible, how much of the truth of the gospel rests on one guy who wouldn't quit? He wouldn't quit on Paul. He wouldn't quit on Mark. He wouldn't quit on the church. One guy who was an encourager that wouldn't stop encouraging even when people acted like knotheads. How much of your Bible is here because of that? How much of your faith is here because of that? Because one guy said, I will sacrifice my success to make other people successful. 
I was doing some reading by uh, a guy named Eric Erickson gives us the eight stages of psychosocial development. This is all deep, heady stuff. But uh, development stage number seven is the one we live a majority of our life in. And this is the place where individuals experience a need to create or nurture things that will outlast them. And if you want to be emotionally and mentally healthy, one of the things you need to do is you need to invest in something that's going to last longer than you. I'm going to read word for word. It says, we give back to society through raising our children, being productive at work, and becoming involved in community activities and organizations. Though generally, we develop a sense of being a part of the bigger picture through, through generativity. That's the, what he calls it. And what he says is we develop through this giving back a virtue of care. What this means is this. If you want to live your best life, your best life is lived by giving your life away. I'll give you one more example and then we'll be done, all right? That example is Jesus. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, it says of Jesus that he was fixing, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the, the ancient path developer, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, all faith who for the joy set before him, for what? For joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning a shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus live his best life? How did he live in the joy that God has for him? He sacrificed for us. There is a promised joy when you sacrifice. And what most of us are living is a half-life and an empty shell because we're developing everything for an Instagram photo that we pose 50 times while inside we're only thinking about how we're viewed rather than how we could help someone else. We're living our lives for us so that I can get a bigger house and more money or, or I can get this or go there or do that. And what God is saying is when you really live the best is when you give your life away. Would you bow your heads with me? Some of you right now, you're holding on to your life. And God is talking to you and saying, today is the day you need to lay your life down and die to yourself so that you can receive God's salvation. If that is you right now, you want to receive God's life, you want to be saved, you want to give your life to him, you want to be welcomed into the family, that's you right now. I would like you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you around this room. Just lift your hand. Yes. Are there others? Yes. Others? Yes. 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 Around this room, hands are up. Hey, we're a family. You can put them down. Let's do this together. Everybody prays together at Harvest Ridge. Nobody prays alone. Everybody together. Can we do this right now? Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. I give you my life. I give you my life. All of it. All of it. I believe in you. I believe in you. You died for my sins. You died for my sins. You were raised from the dead. You can have my life. You can have my life. Now give me yours. Give me yours. I open my heart to you. Thanks for receiving me. Amen. Now if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you have been given 
God's eternal life. You are new in Him. You are saved. You don't ever have to look back. Hey, if you're up, if you're online, text believe. There should be a number on the screen. Just text believe to that number. We want to follow up with you, and we want to give you an opportunity to to do some follow-up and talk to you about the decision you've just made. If you're here today and you made that decision, it's your first time to make it, just come see me after service. I'd love to take two minutes and talk to you, all right? We can throw our masks on. We can stand up here, right? We can do this together. Uh, here's what I want for all of us, though. Harvest Ridge has uh, undergone one of the craziest seasons in our history. The beginning of this year, we had our last year, we had about 700 people jamming into this place on Sunday, and we were working. All of our systems were working, and through COVID, a lot of the people that um, were serving in different things, they're just not available. They're some of them are at home watching online. Even now, we've got several hundred people that watch online every week. They just can't come out. But there's some things that we need to get done, and we can't get it done. You know why we can't get it done? Because we need some Phillips, some table waiters. We need some people to get some work done, right? So uh, here's, here's what we need. We need you to reach in the seat in front of you. Grab one of these. Come on, everybody do it. If everybody does it, nobody will feel awkward. Come on, everybody grab one. They're in the seat in front of you. Grab one. And on the back where it says, what's next? See that? On the back it says, what's next? And then it says, please share name, phone number, email. Do this. Put your name on there and phone number. We can reach you. Hold on just a second. I'll tell you what to do. We're going to sing a song while we do it. And put your name, your phone, and email. And then if you're willing to serve, we've got stuff as easy as once a month, just walking around making sure these are in seats. We've got something as simple as that all the way to complex things. Like we need some people to run sound online. I mean, we're building a room up there so we can continue online ministry. It's grown exponentially. We just need to do it. We need some technical people. We need some people to do this. The other day I plunged a toilet. Hey, listen, not a job we would, I would never ask you to do a job I'm too good to do. I'll do any job in this place. You hang around long enough, you'll know that's the truth, right? That's right. We all serve. And we all serve however we're needed. And if you're one of those people, you're not serving yet, you can uh, fill this out and just say, I'm, I want to figure out how to help or help, put help there. Or if you know something you're good at, write that down. We can't figure all of that out on this card. So what we're going to do is you're going to be contacted. We're going to follow up with you about a volunteer lab. So if you're online, you can skip this step. You can just go straight to the, um, go to the next steps page on our uh, website. And where it says volunteer lab, you can just click on volunteer lab. And we will get you through a volunteer lab to help you. Oh, listen, one other thing. I, can't, I tried to keep this service short. I don't know how to do it. Listen, I don't know how to do this. Listen, discipleship. Can we talk discipleship for one second? The only way you grow in Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 2, is to serve. If you're not serving, you're not growing. So I'm not asking you to do something for me. I'm asking you to do something for you. Okay? So we're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. Actually, stay seated while we sing it. And fill that out. And uh, go ahead and sing this.